And so I want to pray. I want to do a prayer thanking God that he's protected us this year and as we look into the start of a new year. Please bow your head. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for everything that you've given us, for giving us this church and this property and all of the ministries here, Lord, that encourage us and lift us up. Lord, we thank you for this year that you've blessed us and protected us and been with us. And so, Lord, I ask you that you continue to surround us with your presence, especially as we step into a new year. Lead us, Lord, into the light that you would have. Lead us into the ministries that you would give us. Help us to encourage the lost as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. I am continuing my series, What Do We Believe and Why? Uh, and today, it's on Satan. So you may want to step back from me a few feet. I'm sure he's not going to be happy with what I have to say. All right? <clears throat> and I'm asking you, in fact, I'm begging you not to be distracted. Because, you know, that's how he would like. When there's a message like this being given, when we talk about who he is and how he operates, he would like nothing better than to take your mind and all of a sudden you're thinking about that boat trip. You're thinking about that vacation. You understand. You think about where you're going for lunch. You're thinking about everything except the message that's here. We're talking about Satan, about who he is, about how he wants to destroy you. Uh, and so down through the ages, you see, uh, Satan has been depicted as something of a man goat with, a, with horns and tails and clad in red tights. And a pitchfork, you know that. You've grown up seeing those cartoons like that. Uh, and even in the contemporary world we face, there's so many people that don't believe in Satan. There's so many Christians that don't believe in Satan. Well, I want to assure you, he's real. He's existed. We spoke last week about how he, he, he stood outside the manger uh, and swept a third of the stars, a third of the angels to earth. Uh, to revolt against God. He is absolutely real, and he wants to destroy you. It's the, the central goal of Satan uh, to deny his existence. That's what he wants. He wants you to think, oh, come on, John. He doesn't really exist. This is an exaggeration of your mind. Uh, and that's the central nature of what he wants you to think. Now, a great book that I would recommend to you is The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And I hope you all have this in your library. If you don't, order it. Uh, I get a commission on every one of those. <laughs> I wish I did. But let me tell you, it's, it's a superb book. And the idea of the book are two demons communicating with each other. The senior demon in hell, all right? The senior demon in hell and the junior demon on the earth. Uh, and the senior demon uh, is screw tape. Uh, and the junior demon, his nephew, is wormwood. And they communicate over a series of letters about how to bring people to hell. And wormwood is working with one of his patients and bringing him to hell. Uh, and so one day, you know, he writes to his uncle. I have a problem here. I need your advice. Uh, and he, he says... Should I reveal myself? Should I reveal myself to my patient? And Uncle Screwtape gives him some incredible advice. You'll see it up on the board. 
uh, and he says there, the fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to rise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, it is an old textbook method of confusing them, he therefore cannot believe in you. He doesn't want you to believe that he exists. Even when you get these thoughts and images in your mind that take you away from the things of God, which is what he plants. C.S. Lewis's book was so powerful that he wrote afterwards that it took him a year, a year to get out of the mindset of being a demon. Can you imagine? One full year after writing this book that the images were so profound and so deep that it took him to be able to get back into a spiritual uh, vein. And so we often fall prey to this same ploy. So where is the balance? Where is the balance between acknowledging a very real force for evil in this world and still opening up ourselves to our own warts and flaws? It's a critical question that we all have to answer this year as Christians. Look at Ephesians 6, verses 12. It describes the unseen realm as comprising forces, not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces of evil, all things that we cannot see or touch. This becomes critical for you to understand this. We are fighting against principalities, cosmic powers, things in the air, uh, demonic forces that are looking to derail you, to take you away from your ministry, to take you away from the things of God, to discourage you. And this is what we are fighting against. Yes, I know that you come across people that do evil things, but why do you think people do evil things? They're inspired by Satan, all right? Satan sees their heart, he motivates them, he brings them about to do evil things, and that's what we face. And so what I want to do in this sermon is give you a real picture of who he is and how he operates and how he behaves. Now, this is critical because whatever you do in life, you have to begin to identify your adversary. Who is your adversary in life? You know, when I went to court, I would always identify who my adversary was. Uh, my first adversary was the judge. I always viewed judges as my adversary. I knew that they were not in line with I want what I wanted, so I knew where their mind was, how they acted, how they treated. Then I looked at the other lawyer, and I would see how the other lawyer would act, what his mindset was. You see, it's the same way with us as Christians. You need to know your adversary, and your adversary is Satan. You need to know this before we walk uh, with God, uh, because we have to know that we are dealing with the demonic realm. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse uh, 8, we find that the word adversary comes up as a reference. It, mean, it means one who opposes the things of God and the kingdom of God. Uh, and our adversary there is also called the devil, a slanderer who disparages anything that God finds valuable. In Matthew chapter 4, it speaks also uh, in, in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent is mentioned, who leads the world astray. 
and that's in Revelation. The Bible, you see, uses the following names to describe him. The evil one, the tempter, the prince of this world, the accuser of the brethren, and I love that. The accuser of the brethren, because that's one of his great aims, to accuse the brethren, the people in the church, the people that walk together in the church. That's how he divides the church. He accuses the brethren. A hungry, roaring lion, a thief, and a robber. And these are all in the Bible. The originator of sin, uh, and finally, a murderer and a liar, even the father of lies. That's what Jesus called him the father of lies. Perhaps the most telling name that he's given is given in Job 38 and again in Isaiah 14 where he's given the name Lucifer. Lucifer, which is Latin for the one who bears bright light. Can you imagine? Bears bright light. Uh, And so we must understand that name, how he got that name, what it's about. You see, if Satan manifested himself in this room, Uh, and you didn't know who he was, you would be more likely to bow down before him because of his charisma and beauty and magnetism than you would to repudiate him Uh, because he is an angel of light. He was created as the highest created being under God. Uh, And while he may be disgusting and evil in his actions, uh, his mannerisms are desirable. And that's how he draws us uh, into his world. Now, let's go back in time from the beginning to understand the historical basis for Satan and how he got to where he is. There was a time when Satan was perfect and blameless, when he represented all that was good. Uh, Ezekiel 28, verse 14, referring to Satan, says, uh, in the beginning, you were an anointed guardian Cherub, I placed you on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones you walked. You have to understand something. The cherubs were the highest of the hierarchy of angels. Here he is, this great created being uh, beneath only God himself. Uh, And we know from scripture that he was most likely in charge of praise and worship. Effectively, he was the prime minister of God. Uh, traveling all over, advancing the things of God. There were none, no angel was more important or higher than Lucifer. And cherubs are the highest classification uh, of angelic beings. In fact, when Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden, God put uh, cherubs to guard the entrance of the Garden of Eden and to guard the tree of life. That's how high up they were. Uh, Lucifer was the highest of the high, second only to God himself. Uh, No created being was closer to God than Satan was before his fall. Look at Ezekiel 28, verse 15. He says that you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. You were blameless. You were without sin. He walked in the very presence of God, existing as near to him as one could possibly get. Uh, He occupied this role, as I said before, of of being the prime minister. He had vast authority over the kingdom of God and delivered an entire angelic beings in praise to God. He he was in charge of the angels, uh, and he was the first worship leader. He dispensed 
God's power throughout the universe and in exchange received the praise of the universe. But one day, this would all abruptly change. There came a time when the spirit of Lucifer allowed his blossoming pride to get the better of him. And this becomes the essence of sin, pride. It's the essence of our own sin, pride. And if you go back to the, to the real foundational aspect of sin, it all begins with pride. Me, me, I, I, the self-centered aspect of the human condition. And nobody knows it better than Lucifer. Uh, he was beautiful. He was perfect. Uh, he was positioned in close proximity to God. Uh, but instead of allowing those truths to knit him more closely to God, he decided to rebel. He wanted to be higher than God. He thought he deserved to be over God. Now, we don't know the sales pitch that he made to cause one-third of the angels to be cast out, but it had to be pretty good, all right? It had to be pretty good because at that point, the angels could fall. They can no longer, but at that time, they listened to him. They listened to what he had to say, uh, and so he puffed out his chest, indicating who he is in perfection, and he defied the authority of God himself. Most likely, he was jealous of Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. This is the essence of jealousy, as he saw what Jesus was and what Jesus would do. And so he constructs a massive revolt against God. And he's cast to earth. And when he's cast to earth, along with one-third of the angels, the earth suffers massive destruction. Massive destruction. All of this predated the later creation of God. Now, this large-scale subsequent a departure would cast the earth into chaotic darkness. Uh, and there the world would remain until God stepped in in Genesis chapter 1 and chose to say one day, let there be light. Let there be light after, after Satan and his demonic forces had been cast here. Now look, continue with on as Ezekiel 28 is our test. Again, to see what his character is like. The first part of Ezekiel 28, uh, verse 11, the first part of that chapter is a rebuke from God to the prince of Tyre, delivered by Ezekiel. But you see, when you read that chapter, suddenly, around verse 11, the tone changes. No longer is God speaking uh, to a worldly prince. He's now speaking about Satan himself, and speaking directly to him. The words will be on the board. Ezekiel 28, verse 11. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And this now is the indictment of Lucifer. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Very precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, 
they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. There you have it. There he is right next to God, right next to God, yet filled with evil, with pride, with self-centeredness. You see what can happen. And this is the nature of who you're dealing with. There's no difference today. This is how he operates. And so Satan could not have been more than any created being could have been. But with ungrateful hands, he threw it in a basket in the garbage. Uh, and he left the worship of God. Uh, and he became allergic to the very praise of God. He went from being just a lo little lower than Jesus to turning and running at the sound of the Messiah's name. And as you know, as we preached last week, looking to destroy Jesus in every way. That's how his hatred is. And that's what he wants to do with you as well. He wants to destroy you. He wants to take you away from God. All of this rebellion really started with the most simple of statements. Uh, and this is a lesson for us, and it's found in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. This is how we allow sin to come into our hearts. Look at what, what was said there by the prophet about Lucifer. Verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, and this is the key, this is what he said, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. As a result of that, astounding pride and arrogance. God cast him out of heaven along with one-third of the angels. There you see what happens. You see the nature of sin. You understand it. It's the self-centered arrogance. Look at me, God. Look at how I am. I'm good. I'm righteous. I don't necessarily have to follow everything you do, God. I can take some of my own decisions to myself. Uh, you know, and this is how it is. This is how Satan operates. And then he begins to work on your mind. You're a good person. You're a righteous person. You don't need to go to church every Sunday. Take a day off. Sleep in. After all, look how hard you work. You're good. You're good. Look at your neighbors. You're so much better than they are. You see how Satan operates? He doesn't tell you to go out and murder somebody or rob somebody. That'll never happen here because you're Christians. But here's what he wants. He wants to take you away from loving God. You understand? It's that simple. Take you away from loving God from loving the people of God. This is what he does. Uh, and he does it by focusing on self. Me, me, I, I. Uh, and you see it here. Uh, I will build my own kingdom. I will rise above God. I will chart my own course. Isn't that one of the things 
that appeals to us. You chart your own course. Look at you. You could be anything you want to be. You don't have to necessarily hang around with those church people. You could be so much greater in the world. Uh, and this is what he, what he likes to do. And so he seeks rebellion. He seeks to take you away from the love of God. You're not going to become a disciple of Satan. That's not what's going to happen. But instead, you're going to find yourself being less in love with God, less in love with ministry. Uh, and this is how he operates. Uh, and so Satan wants the lovers of God, the children of God, to detach from their allegiance to God. There it is. It's that simple. That's the plan. Uh, and, and so most of us have an ingrained system of right and wrong. And so he knows you're not going to go out and rob a store. You're not going to go out and murder somebody. But you know what? Well, maybe I don't have to go to church as often as I do. You know, I could stay home. I could rest. Uh, and, and maybe I don't have to hang around with those church people as much uh, as I've done. And you know what? I don't have to do that ministry. Uh, I don't need to do that. He knows my heart. I'm good. Uh, and so what you see is you don't worship Satan, but you fall out of love with God. That's how he works. That's the nature of how he works. Uh, and you find yourself stepping away from God. And so how does this happen? Well, you know what? All of a sudden you miss a service here and you miss a service there. And then you know what? You're missing a few weeks here and you're missing a few weeks there. And there's all good reasons all right? We all have good reasons. You're entitled to take vacations. It's good to be with family, but understand something. Every time you walk away from your affiliation with God, you get closer to Satan. That's what happens, all right? You don't even realize that it's happening. Uh, and so uh, Satan wants to have you be detached from God. Now, would he like it if you became a disciple? Of course he would like it. But there are very few people that cross over to that, certainly not those in church, uh, those people that are involved in murder and robbery and mayhem in so many ways, some of the great leaders of the world that did despicable things like Hitler, all right, Mussolini, uh, and Julius Caesar, all those people that did horrible things that were absolutely motivated by God. And make no mistake about it. In every world power throughout the world, Satan is in the room. He's in the room. Don't kid yourself. When you see what happens with Hamas and Israel, who do you think motivates these people? What do you think happens? This is exactly what he does. He puts evil into your minds. And as you draw and walk away from God, his power increases. Uh, and so we need to be on, on spot on this. You need to be aware of it. This year, you need to ask God to conform you to his will, to surround you with his power, and to protect you in every step that you do. Now, Satan only speaks three times in all of Scripture. How about that? But these occasions tell us much about how he works uh, towards his goal. First, in the book of Genesis, uh, Satan shows up in the form of a serpent and approaches Eve and convinces her that God is holding out on her. 
God is holding out on you, Lee. Eve, he knows that if you take that tree, you're going to be smart. You're going to know as much as he does. He doesn't want that to happen. Uh, and so he slanders the character of God. You understand? He slanders the character of God and teaches her to rebel against God. And then you see the fall of man. Uh, Genesis 3, verses 1 to 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Satan responds, you will certainly not die. That's Satan. You will certainly not die. You could do that. That's not a sin. You could step out and do it. God knows that when you eat from that tree, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. The second time Satan speaks is in the book of Job. And Job was living a righteous life for God. When Satan requests permission to test Job's real allegiance, Satan appears before God's throne and says, of course Job loves you and serves you. You've given him a great family. You've blessed him in so many ways. He's making lots of money. But take all that away and he will abandon you. He'll abandon you. The accuser of the brethren. You understand? Take it away. You'll see where he is. He's not real. He's not righteous. And we know the story of Job well, Job will, will fall in with God and succeed in the end. Then there's a third occasion when Satan spoke, and it was directly to Christ. Uh, when, when Jesus was in the wilderness, right after he had not eaten for 40 days. Matthew 4, verse 5, reveals the account of Jesus being tempted three times by Satan after fasting and praying in the wilderness. The third test was especially revealing when it comes to understanding Satan's goal. And this is important as you understand his goal. Look at Matthew 4, verse 9, uh, where it says, All of this, Satan said as he brought him up to a high mountain. All of this, the world, I will give you. All you need to do is bow down and worship me. Imagine that. Bow down and worship me. But Jesus was not swayed. Uh, and neither should we be. And that's the point. Deny the promises of Satan. Deny the allure of the world. Don't fall for those promises. You can only take a step here or a step there. It won't affect your life. Everything you do that takes you away from God will ultimately derail you. You don't want that. You want to stay as close to God as you can. You want to repudiate Satan. And when these thoughts come into your mind, and that's how he does it, he does it with your mind, uh, and he works in your mind. Uh, and he gets you to, to do these things. As you see there, Jesus repudiated him and said he absolutely repudiated Satan, get behind me, uh, and, and forced him to depart from his life. Look, in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 10, the Apostle Paul speaks about what our responsibility is in terms of coming face-to-face -face with Satan. Uh, and he encourages people to forgive the people who harm them so that we are not outwitted by Satan. You understand? The lack of forgiveness opens the door to Satan. Why do I say that? It's because when you have a lack of forgiveness in your heart, 
ultimately the lack of forgiveness will become hatred. And hatred is exactly the currency that Satan works on. Look at what he says there. Anyone you forgive, this is Paul now, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us. That's how he outwits you. Don't forgive those people. Look at what they did to you. They've humiliated you. They've treated you so unfairly. And then you just let that percolate in your heart. And it grows. And it grows from resentment. And it grows from resentment ultimately to hatred. And what are you doing? You're opening up the door to Satan who will come in and take over your life, who will ruin your ministry, who will ruin your family, who will ruin the way that you can serve God in every possible way. Look, Paul said there, we are not unaware of his schemes. We know how he works. We know what he does. He's a liar. He's the accuser of the brethren. And so what's the point? When Satan rejected God, he rejected all good things as well, uh, because he is, God is the purest manifestation of good. Where God promotes light, Satan promotes darkness. Where God promotes love, Satan promotes hatred. Where God promotes freedom, Satan loves to see us bound up. He specializes in subversion, perversion, and digression, and he is prepared to use every single tactic in his arsenal towards those ends. He wants to take you away from your love of God. He wants to take you away from your ministry. Look, you're not going to lose your soul because you're saved. You're saved. But here's the game plan. What kind of productive Christian life will you have? When you get to the other side, you're going to sit there and look at God, and instead you're going to ultimately admit to a self-centered aspect of life in which you did not fulfill what God had in mind. And it's because you've opened the door to these distractions from Satan. Now, once you and I have accepted Christ, from that forward more point more, we can rest in the assurance that Christ paid our sins at the cross. That's the key. He died for you. He paid for your sins. Uh, and Satan and the demonic forces are fraudulent. They failed at the cross. Jesus was victorious. Uh, Revelation 12, verse 11 says that Satan is defeated by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. He loses. You understand? He loses. And that's important for you to understand. Uh, we are not subject to his whim as long as we take the blood of Christ. All right? That's what we need to understand. We walk with Christ. We have the blood of Christ on us. We're not subject to those whims where the world is, in fact, subject. Now, the point of this sermon is that as believers in Jesus Christ, you and I fight this spiritual battle every day. But we have victory. Why? Because Christ was victorious. That's who our, our conqueror is. Christ was victorious. His redemptive work on the cross saves us. And we walk daily with that redemptive work. Look, clearly, none of us is as strong as Satan. 
All right? He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient, but he's very powerful and crafty. And he knows our weaknesses. Uh, and he knows your weakness. And he knows what really titillates you. Uh, and he comes and puts things in your mind that ultimately will draw you away from walking with Christ. Look, we are not as strong as Satan, but when we walk with Christ, under the blood of, the, of Christ, we succeed. That's what we have to understand. Uh, we're in the winner's circle every day because of Jesus Christ. But the key is to depend heavily on God. Claim his promises in your life. Pray every day. Read the scripture every day and claim the victory in your life. Uh, the enemy has no authority over you. You're a child of God. Make no mistake about it. Uh, and remember the words of Ephesians 6, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord. And that's what I claim for you this year as you look out into a new year. Be strong in God. Yes, there's going to be dark days. Yes, there's going to be evil things. Yes, there's going to be down days. Yes, there will be ups and downs. But you walk with Jesus. And you make it a point to plant that flag here. I'm with Christ. I walk with Christ. I'm going to dedicate myself to Jesus. Every day of my life, I'm going to walk with you, Lord. I'm going to walk with the people of God. I'm going to make it a point to come to church as often as I can to surround myself, Lord, with your people, to surround myself with the word of God, to be surrounded so that I can protect myself from these evil forces, and God will not fail you. Because I've read the last page in the book of the Bible, and you know what it says? We win. We win. We win. Don't be dismayed. Don't be downhearted. We win because we walk with him. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you for this message, Father. I thank you for the fact that you've given us the freedom to walk with you. Lord, I pray that this message is anointed and that it touched the, touches the hearts of the people. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone in this congregation that has not yet accepted you, that when they hear this message, they recognize I can't walk alone. I can't walk alone, but I can only walk with you. And so, Father, I pray that that person will pray to be with you and, and come forward at the end of the message to be prayed for by those here in the front. Lord, guide us, protect us, lead us, surround us in every way, especially as we walk into this new year. Give us the strength, Lord, to carry your flag to a lost world as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you, church.